0: this is I should be writing episode two of season 20 still really weird to say that Hi there! Welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is a podcast and live stream for wannabe fiction writers. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. My credentials are, I've been doing this podcast for 20 years. It is the longest-running podcast in existence. Writing podcast. Writing podcast. In existence. I've been writing professionally for about... 10 years? 12 or so? 12 years or so. And, um... I've got about seven or eight books out. I can't ever think of the number. But that speaks to my math credibility, which is low, not my writing credibility. Anyway, I did, uh, I did a lot of journaling yesterday and found out that, yeah, I need to focus on the weird stuff. And I can't remember if I've already said this on a podcast. Oh, crap. But anyway, I'm focusing on the weird stuff. I'm not holding back anymore. I promise I wrote some weird stuff this morning not as much as I wanted to because then I got on this panicked ADHD hyper focus of realizing how many emails behind I was and that some of them actually needed to be dealt with soon or yesterday so I didn't get as much writing done as I wanted to but I got a lot of other stuff done so I should have a fairly clean slate for tomorrow But yeah, I do this podcast to talk to wannabe writers, to help them get moving towards a traditional career. I have nothing against self-publishing. That's just what this podcast is focused on. Also focused on science fiction. A lot of people don't listen or even look at the website and then ask to be interviewed (laughs) because if I do interview people, they're science fiction authors or fantasy authors or horror authors. I'm on the fence about romance. I'm still on the fence about that. But that's not your problem. I stream the show live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Mighty on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, or 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, as the case may be, and uh, then I clean it all up and put it up in the podcast feed. But today I decided to talk about money, because all of my tax forms are coming in, and it's on my mind. People complain about Christmas decorations going up too early. I complain about tax stuff going out in January. Not not the forms, but all of the other things around the taxes. When you have a creative career, the money is a very strange thing. First you don't have any. And you think, okay, well, the best I've done is I sold a short story for $35. What am I what am I worried about? Once you start trying to make money with something, a hobby, if that's what you want to call it, then I'm only speaking U.S. tax terms, obviously, and I'm not an accountant. There's my caveat. The minute you do that, you can start taking anything you do, anything you pay money for that could focus on your writing career, and start deducting it from your taxes. The government will only allow you to do this for so long. You can only run a business at a loss for so long. But this includes trips to conventions. It includes books. If you're a reader and you're reading and you're trying to make a writing career, that is all research. I know people who write off their computer games and their comic books. I know someone who writes off her trip to the coffee shop where she writes as kind of like a co-working space that's the thing I worry would get audited but um I haven't gone as far as video games I have gone as far as I write off comic books and books and audiobooks and I definitely write off trips to conventions keep that in mind I think you can only do that for about five years again not an accountant but that is uh what you can do once you start making more you need to start thinking about a couple of things Your publisher or your agent is going to send you tax forms. If you're part of Patreon and PayPal and those kinds of places are kind of weird. Because you're supposed to report any money you make. But if you don't make above a certain threshold, some of these places won't send you a tax form. And maybe I'm a goody two shoes. But I keep track of how much money I make and I tell the government. I don't want to be audited because I'm a mess. I save all that crap, all the receipts and stuff, but I don't want to look for it and organize it for an accountant sent by the government. So I report it all. But you need to report your Patreon income and your uh, magazine income. Taxes are possibly my least favorite time of year when... And it almost always gives me a migraine. I stress about it a lot. This is not a commercial. It is just a public endorsement. Public endorsement? What the hell is that? Just an endorsement. It's it's an endorsement for the budgeting software I use, which is YNAB. You need a budget. Because it has helped me keep track so much better of all of my expenses and income. So last year the taxes were not that bad. So how do you keep track of your income? Because when you're an author and you make, say... Say so you sell an option and you get $20,000. Holy crap. That's, that's $20,000 in one swoop. First, your agents are going to take their 20%. And that's pretty standard. It's usually your agent and your film agent splitting the, advance, spl- splitting the money 10% for each. So it's 20% of your movie option income. But still, that's pretty good. Still, one check. $16,000. That's pretty good. But you're going to have to pay taxes on that and you're going to want to be prepared. So many people realize, oh my God, I have to pay so many thousands of dollars in taxes because I'm a writer and they don't take taxes out for writers. you got to be prepared. Now what I do is, what I did first was all the money I had coming in, I would take it and split it into thirds. A third would go towards taxes. A third goes back to me and my business. And a third goes to my family's household funds. But there's one more thing. And this is this is so adult and irritating, but it's the truth. When, Especially if you start to become a full-time creative person. You've got to put money aside for retirement. I mean, you don't have to, but you might want to. And that is called an SEP, not someone else's problems, but self-employed. What does the P stand for? I don't know. But it's a self-employment IRA. And there's a certain, certain threshold. My financial guy told me what it was. I don't understand how they come to it. But essentially, you can put in 25% of your gross income. Now I take my full, let's say it's that $16,000. I take the whole $16,000 before I take any taxes out and I take 25% of that. And I put that aside for retirement. then I take the remaining and split that into thirds, which is essentially the whole thing split into fourths. Yeah, it took me way too long to realize that. And then I split it up the way that I said. Taxes, my business, my family. And that is responsible and i have not been surprised by a tax bill ever since i started doing that on the other hand it means that if i get a large well any income i get is suddenly if i think about i need to buy a new computer or go to a convention <laughs> that's that's a that's a quarter of what i'm making put towards that goal so it sucks let's just be honest it sucks but there's a reason why our employers take that out for us. And it's was poss- possibly the reason so we don't steal from the government. But also, they just make it easy on you. You don't even see the money you're not getting until tax time and you realize your salary's X, but you're making Y. But they do it for you. They do the Social Security. They do retirement. You can put money in your 401k before you even get the money. It's all easy. But to not be surprised by a tax do- a tax bill, I would recommend putting... A quarter of your income aside. And that's if you're putting a quarter of your income aside for retirement. And if you're not doing that, then put 33% aside of your uh, freelance stuff. This year, or no, not this year, but recently. Like last year, last two years. I discovered something awful. And that is California passed a law to where money made in California stays in California. I think... Some movie producers were setting up offices in Nevada and then not having to pay the much higher California taxes. So, because some rich guy wanted to get richer and was a dick, I got a bill for money I made in, like, 2017 on a movie option that I'd sold. And granted, like I said, I'm, I'm saving all this up so I don't get surprised by tax bills. But then California wants, like, $600. And... I freaked out and sent it to my accountant and he's like yeah that's true California money stays in California so I had I had to pay taxes on 2017 and here here we get the good news bad news thing the good news is I can't be taxed in two states at once so North Carolina owed me money the bad news is the statute of limitations had already passed North Carolina said sorry But then I went through and looked at all other option money I'd made since 2017 and just sent it to my accountant and said, all right, let's just send California money because you know they're going to come asking for it. So hopefully by now I'm caught up. And I know moving forward if I ever get another option to do that, remember what California is going to want. It's so confusing. And sometimes I think that tax brokers and H&R Block work to make it more confusing so that we'll use them. Like they lobby the government to make the tax laws worse. Or harder to understand. Which is why I'm just doing the blanket thing of putting X money aside. Because I don't want to be surprised by a tax bill. And it and it feels like the worst, most adulting thing. Because you keep thinking, oh well maybe I can use the money now and I'll just keep track, I'll just remember. And not be surprised by the tax bill and be ready to, to pay the tax bill. just. Don't do that. Just put, my, put the money aside. It, it's, you, you'll be better off, really. And then last year, or year before last, my husband uh, maxed out his withholding on his, on his salary. And luckily, he, he held back enough that where all the money I had put aside on our taxes, we didn't have to use it all because he'd already withheld a lot. And that was a really exciting windfall. Because not even a tax bill, it was just, like, the opposite of a tax bill. Not even a refund, it was money I had. So, if you have a spouse with a job, then see if they can increase their withholding, which will make it easier on you once taxes come. But it's scary. You look at successful writers and see what their tax bills are. The, the number's terrifying. So, that's why you put money aside. As It's really funny, I heard... A slick white guy in a suit talk about this new revolutionary, like, small business finance thing he came up with. And it was essentially, take this much percentage for you and your household income and put this much percentage back into your business. And I'm like, well, I've been doing that for, like, two decades now, and nobody yet told me I could wear a slick suit and write a fancy finance book. But really what it's saying is when you When you do that you will you won't have to look at your household finances and make a decision of do the kids go to summer camp or do I get a new computer for my business because that money is automatically for your business I'm fifty years old, and it still feels weird and kind of whiny to make these decisions, but it has caused me much easier Aprils since I did that sometimes they'll do the estimated tax thing. I did the estimated tax for a couple of years, and then one year my accountant didn't give me the estimated tax things. When tax time came, I paid my bill, and then we moved on. And I really haven't done the estimated tax thing since. I suppose if the government wants estimated taxes, they'll ask me and I'll pay it again, but um, that's usually when your accountant gets involved. Do you, at what point do you need an accountant? I would say at the point where you look at all of your receipts and go, what the hell do I do with all of this? We've had an accountant for years. I can't think about this stuff. There's so many different tax documents. And I got a tax document from Barnes & Noble downstairs that reports I made $11 on BNN.com. So many tiny little tax reports. And it's just a pain. And also my accountant's been the one to figure out how much I owe California. And then he makes something for me to send North Carolina and ask for money back. Because yes, the statute of limitations had been lifted and had gone, uh, passed by in 2017. But I still made money back for like 2018 and 2020 uh, from North Carolina. So at least there was that. But I recommend a good accountant to help you with all of this. One more thing... And I have this weird mental block where I think if I've talked, if I talked about something in September of 2019 or something that everyone here remembers and everyone here was there then, I think part of that's my fear of repeating myself. So if if you've heard this, then just, you know, go get a glass of water, fast forward, whatever. But I want to explain why the really exciting, huge advances are not as exciting and huge as you think. You will hear that this author sold a trilogy for $100,000. And that's a lot of money. And that's very exciting. But here's how it plays out. You will get, that's essentially $33,333 per book. You will get one-third of each of those on signing, usually. And that's, that's $33,000 in one, one check. That's pretty cool. But it's not $33,000 because it's minus 15% for your agent. And then if you're doing the responsible thing and taking out taxes at least, that's another 25% to 30% gone. So, but still, that that's going to be your biggest check. And it's exciting. But then what people don't get is the rest of the money is going to be given out along a timeline. So you're going to get standard... My publisher doesn't do it this exactly thing do this exact thing anymore, but standard is a third of the book on final draft acceptance and then a third of the book on publication. Where we were where we our first check was for thirty-three thousand dollars, our next checks are going to be ten thousand dollars. Less than because of all the other stuff taken out. And so And that's going to happen over a very long period of time. Because usually it takes about, what, two to four years to write a trilogy? Some people have gone faster. Some people have not. I had a problem over the um, pandemic. And was unable to write. And had to go through several edits of my book. And one thing that those several edits did was push back my payments because they weren't not going to give me any more money until they accepted the final draft. And they weren't going to put it on the schedule until they had a final draft they were happy with. That th- Those periods of time were very long between getting the final draft and then the book going hitting the shelves, which is when I got the last payment. That sucked. So, and then, another thing people don't get. This is an advance. And what advance means is the publisher is guessing you're going to make, say, $100,000 on this book. Or that they're going to make $100,000 on this book. And so they'll say, I'll give you this up front. So then they tell you, when you get your royalties reports, you'll see how much, how many books have been sold against your advance. And you'll just see the advance, which starts at like a minus $100,000, get smaller and smaller as you go. Because as you earn. So I actually had um, my first two books were $15,000 each. So I got a third $30,000 book deal for two books. They didn't sell as well as my uh, publisher wanted. They did earn out. I do get small royalty checks every six months for those books. But my publisher wasn't happy with it. So when they offered me the next deal, they cut it in thirds. No, no, they cut it in. Yes, yeah, sorry, they cut it by one third, and they only gave me one book deal. So I went from a thirty thousand dollars two book advance to a one book, two book deal, to a ten thousand dollars one book deal, which is not the direction you want to go in your career. Um, I'm take a quick break to read chat. Um, Premi says here in Canada we have to report every penny of income, and then they decide what the threshold is. Yeah. Kids Are Asleep says what's fun is when the feds are like, you're poor enough to get Medicaid and the state is like, we're going to base your projected income on the two specific months you got a big check, lol. Yeah. Yeah. You really wish you could call up the IRS and say, yeah, I, I got an option and it was awesome. Or I got a uh, one book deal, but that is not standard.
1: <laughs> this is
0: not indicative of my lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, Lee says, when I was working as a contractor, I put half my pay into a separate account. I paid my taxes from it quarterly and what remains at the end of the year went into a retirement savings plan. Yeah. Right. So I got the smaller offer and I was pissed. I'll be honest. It's been like 10 years. I can air that dirty laundry. And I almost didn't take it. I almost did not take the deal for six weeks. But, you know, my, my agent said, look, if you don't get this deal, we have to go out if you don't sell this deal on a proposal, we have to go out with something completely new to different publishers and that will take time and it'll be longer between your last book and your next book. And so I said, okay. What's funny is the break between Six Wakes and Station Eternity was several years. But that didn't that wasn't a, a an issue. Um so I took it. And the nice thing about small advances is, well, they earn out a lot faster. So, I er- I earn uh, six wakes out in four months. So, yeah, advances are nice, but I think if I got one super high, I would stress out a lot. We have a question. If you have a large advance for one book doesn't that doesn't earn out, does that impact the earn out of any future books? Do you need to clear the deficit with the publisher? Or does it simply mean a smaller advance in the future? That is an excellent question because the way we talk about advances makes it sound like a loan which it is not. You never have to pay that back unless you fail to deliver. If the book goes out, you don't have to pay it back. If the book goes out and it's a flop you still don't have to pay that back. But it does, like I said with my situation, it does mean that the publisher may look at you for the next book and go, I don't want to risk that much. And you'll you may get offered a smaller deal. That that is a risk. That's a, that's also the risk of the high advance is that there's a lot of a lot expected um, from you. Arthur C. Clarke was famous for only accepting one dollar advance on his books. Wow. Uh, Premium Muhammad says, as far as I know, the future advances wouldn't be based on that advance, but the actual sales, particularly because those numbers are easier to find. If you go with a different imprint, yes internally they'd know exactly what your advance was. Yes, so if you went with a different imprint, they wouldn't necessarily know those numbers, but they would make the offer based on what they see book sales were. And if those are low, they're going to make a lower offer. But yeah, this was this was with the same publisher, my first 3 books, so publishing is a curse, yes. But every time I start feeling down about publishing, I just think about Hollywood. That's a really loud drink holder. I think about Hollywood and just think we got it good. Okay, we don't have a good, but it's so much worse elsewhere. Just working so long on a project and not knowing when it's going to be cancelled, because most of them are. That just doesn't sound fun to me. But anyway, I would love any more questions you have about money, either ask them now or ask them uh, via email, mightymer at gmail dot com. I will answer what I can. It's, uh, this is, a, this is one of those things that Matt and I would rail against, especially when it comes to younger, hot literary people. They don't know what this means, and no one tells them. You don't learn this in Author 101. And, I mean, you may get your $100,000 advance and wonder why your agent cuts you a check for, even if you understand how the advance is paid out, why am I not getting $33,000? Because you don't understand how the 15% works. Or you get hit with a massive tax bill. Or you quit your day job and then suddenly wonder after two years when you have no money. And your books haven't earned out yet. So you're not going to get any money. Premies, premies currently at a writing residence. And she says, I can tell you that all the lit fit people here have no idea how this works. Because their MFA did not discuss it in any detail. I said... The same thing to my MFA program. And they're just like, no, we're not here to deal with business. We're here to teach you guys how to write. And I'm like, you don't want any of these people to have a career? Because this is how careers fail when you don't understand the money you're making. Yeah, it is something kind of... I mean, it's kind of complicated on the accounting end, which is why I just boil it down to percentages. I just, every time I get payment, I pull up my calculator and I just start calculating and I use my budget to put that money aside. So I've got a line item for this year's taxes, my self-employment fund, my business and the household funds, and I just piece it out and put it in there. And then I don't have to think. Preemie says they said all their profs said they're writing for money. They should not be writing. They should be writing for love and not expecting to make any money, which I'm just going to say most genre authors do not think that way. We would like to, who are these people who don't want to write for a living? I don't understand it. I mean, I guess they're all going to be professors and that's how they make their money. But their true art is where they don't make money or they suffer or something. I don't know. Suffering's probably involved. Starvin has a money question. Did Bookshop website ever take off? If memory serves, the idea was it was a kind of digital storefront for authors, book reviewers, etc. Yes, it, actually, Underpope a- answers that that it's still it's still around and making money. I am I subscribe to a couple of uh, Bookshop.org newsletters, but I already buy through my local uh, bookstore, so I don't really use it to purchase things. One thing I do want to say, if you want to support your local bookstore and you like audiobooks, there's now a program where you can buy audiobooks and that purchase goes to a store that you prefer. I think it's Libro.fm. I'm looking it up on my phone right now. Because I, I love audiobooks and I was so happy when I found out I could buy it and benefit my local store. Yes! Libro, Libro.fm. And when you sign up, you say what store you're benefiting and then you're technically buying audiobooks from that store which is awesome uh, under pope says i don't know enough about making money but i do do buy books through bookshop okay cool uh premium updates they include a little bit but it goes submit to small presses you don't need an agent there's a third person in the editor author relationship don't expect to get any money or a bigger print run than five. Oh. Don't don't expect a bigger print run than 500. I. Some of this is word for word from the publishing pro who gave us a talk on Friday. What did you do, Primi? Did you just like sit on your hands, or bite your lip, or just pull out your phone and stop listening? Or, because I'm really interested, because it's almost as if they want authors to stay ignorant. Or maybe they believe that if you did it for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reason or you're gonna write poorly. And I can promise you, there are very few people who can specifically write to market. I've tried, just as an exercise. I wanted to write something specific with these tropes, and I still started going off in my own weird direction. Which I guess is good because I have a voice, but bad because I wanted to see what I could do. I drank tea and looked at my phone, okay. <laughs> She literally said this was the divide between lit fic, which she would discuss, and commercial fic, which Coach House does not publish, so she would not discuss. Anyway, I died. <laughs> oh, God. That's just, it's like, it's just typical censorship. It's we want to keep this knowledge from you. A lot of people want to keep creators in the dark and look like they're offering something amazing. That's true. I know some uh, agents don't, or not or or some publishers don't want their authors talking about money. Because we'll find out who's getting the big advances. Although I think in some cases we already know. Yeah. It's very much literary, literary snobbery too. It's like, oh, you're writing for money. That's bad. You know, I, I like to eat. My husband has been helping me with my writing career for years and years and years. And I would really like to support him. That'd be awesome. You know what? This reminds me. My kid went to the, like, a really good public school that was focused on the arts. And it was our dream to get her into this school. And we finally did for high school. And it was great. She, she learned art. She learned music. The, the classes were challenging and everything. And then we got to college prep. And the guidance counselor said, don't apply to Duke. You won't get in. You know, don't don't try to apply to to any of the big schools, Harvard or, you know, those those more difficult type schools. You won't get in. And then, you know, it'll look bad because it will be on record that this high school sent this kid to apply to this school and failed. She said that that Duke doesn't accept local. I'm I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Duke doesn't accept local kids because it'll make them look like a local school. And I talked to some other mothers and all of their kids were high performers and all their kids, all the mothers were like, "Yes, she told me the same thing. She said, don't apply to the the school my kid ended up going to. And my kid's like, no, I want to apply there. And actually, her class sent two people to this out of state prestigious school. And I've been like wondering why this guidance counselor would just tell the kids, don't shoot too high, kids. From a good high school, I'm just baffled, and I think it's because they didn't want it on their record that that these kids like shot high and then failed, you know. Go 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 for the schools you 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 know you'll get into. Yeah, if you do try to make money, you're one of those awful mercenary hacks who write spaceship and wizard pulp. Yeah, unless you write it metaphorically and ironically, like. The Japanese author who said he doesn't write stupid fantasy. He writes, you know, allegories about giants. Where does uh, Margaret Atwood stand? She used to be a sci-fi writer and then she said she was too good for it and then she wrote a book about writing science fiction and I don't know where she stands now. Yeah, I just like it when I write stories about weird stuff that can happen and sometimes that stuff is magic and sometimes it's aliens magic. You know, I... I suppose pulp these days are the novellas that go out on Amazon from self-published writers. But you know what? Readers loved pulp and readers love those novellas that come out like a machine gun because they will read like a machine gun. That metaphor fell apart. But there's some authors who put out a book every week, every month on Amazon and make a million because their readers eat it up. And you know what? I think it's pretty cool they're making their living. I do know one who's got had a pretty bad repetitive stress injury from the, trying to keep up this lifestyle. So be good to your hands. But if you can make it work, who cares? Preemie Red Sci-Fi Flash at our reading on Thursday and everyone afterwards was like, It's so weird. That was science fiction, but it had emotions in it? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, emotions. Uh, so, oh, Mar- Margaret Atwood used to say that if it didn't have spaceships and the like, it wasn't science fiction. Oh, okay. I'd like to see Connie Willis and Margaret Atwood fight. Because Connie Willis writes a lot of soft science fiction. Specfic, not sci-fi. See, I use specfic as like an umbrella term to mean science fiction, fantasy, and horror. But I guess specfic is fancy science fiction like Margaret Atwood stuff. Anyway, um, your questions, money questions in the chat. I can't volunteer Preemie to help me answer them, but she has been so far. Preemie Muhammad pro writer in the chat. Go buy her books. But also, are you getting any crap for being a science fiction writer? Or are you just opening their eyes to the world where they might pay you for your work and where magic or technology can be a good thing? Yes, I am getting crap. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. I can shut... No, I don't want you to shut up, Preemie. I'm saying that if you guys have questions, you have two pro authors here to answer. One of them is in the chat, and one of them is right here. I am sorry, Preemie. That sucks. Atwood's appalling claim on BBC Breakfast was that science fiction is no more than talking squids in outer space. Everyone's being very nice about it, so the crap is almost 100% pure weapons-grade condescension. Well, you know what? Instead... Instead of commercial fiction, I think you need to start calling it popular fiction because that will imply that their fiction is unpopular. <laughs> Starvin's generally surprised to hear that litfic authors are behaving pretty much exactly like caricatures of themselves. I assume we were judging them unfairly. Nope. Oh, the term popular is a dirty word here. I think you should just wake up in the middle of the night and run down the hall going, Popular! Money! Popular! Money! And they'll all start crying. I think it's also that thing of... I mean, it's part jealousy. Those, those of us who think we write good science fiction will sneer at the people who, I just said, write you know one book a month on Kindle and throw it out there. Part of that's jealousy because they're selling a hell of a lot mo- more books than we are, most of us anyway. And I think a lot of litfic people look at our crap and think, "How are they making money? Oh, it's just because they care. I don't care. How do they eat? It goes along with genre and commercial and eating food paid for with fiction. Preemie, I think you really need to weaponize writing words for money. They teach it? It's like a pyramid scheme? How, how is that, Preemie? Terry Pratchett said something about dealing with lit condescension by crying himself to sleep on a giant pile of money. Yeah, I don't think Preemie nor I have a giant pile of money, but I don't know. How many people there are writing about disillusioned middle-aged college professors who want to sleep with their students? Or disillusioned uh, middle-aged men who are heroes for changing a diaper? Once you get your MFA and have been taught you can't write for money, you can go teach MFA kids that they also can't write for money. Three, but there are a lot of disillusionment and several people are writing memoirs I see. Are they writing memoirs about being a college professor who's disillusioned and wants to sleep with their students? Very literary memroids. I'm sorry, Preemie. I hope you're getting something out of it, besides, you know, high altitudes and condescension. Oh, no, I like memroids. I know you're getting altitude sickness. That's why I mentioned it. I'm sorry. That's not good. What happens if a Litvik author writes Litvik but gets lots of money for it, like John Irving? Hmm. Then they will move the book to fiction and not say anything about it. Uh, this, is, this has happened to Deborah Harkness and Stephen King. You will find them in fiction more often than anywhere else. I got to where I couldn't pass a discovery of witches at Barnes & Noble without going into a major rant. Back in the before times when Ursula and I would have lunch on Fridays, we would have lunch and then we'd go to nearby Barnes & Noble for coffee and we walked towards the science fiction section, we had to change our route because our normal route took, took us by Deborah Harkness and I couldn't pass by it without ranting. Immedius, most popular writers won't have the giant pile of money, but there's a true pride in being able to buy groceries off your fiction. Yeah, exactly. That's their dream, either writing the extremely litfic book that becomes a bestseller or winning the Giller Prize and selling 50,000 copies in one week. Yeah, I don't know. I just, the snobbery just baffles me. The writer of the Outlander series isn't that Diana Gabaldon, has had that transition from genre to fiction. Locally, Harknesses and Fantasy and King is an horrible well, good, cause mine is puts them all in fiction. Anyway, I am getting close to an hour. If you have any further questions, feel free to let me know. If you have any questions, um, at home, let me know mightymart@gmail.com, and I'll answer them on the next one. Underpope says, My friend, uh, Mr. Todd Galloglass has a lovely rant about Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Litfic authors who turn to specfic, he says, often just churn out very awful derivative works. I tried to read The Road. It was very boring. Yeah. But they can't read any speculative fiction because that would be beneath them. So Yeah. What I liked about The Road was that he very smartly avoided saying what the actual spec fic premise was. He just avoided it entirely and more or less kept it lit fic with one spec fic element. Yes, the author of Children of Men refused to accept her book being called SF. Guys, there are bigger problems. There really are bigger problems. Genre is a marketing tool. Which I guess is why some things that are very obviously what we consider genre are not shelved in genre in some bookstores. This can't be fantasy, it's too good. Anyway, I could rant all day about this pre I stream podcasty thoughts on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time here at twitch.tv slash And then I do other things, other afternoons. And that schedule's not solidified yet. I'm still working on it. Please be patient. But y'all be kind, be well, because you should be writing. Thank you for listening to I Should Be Writing, the longest running writing podcast in existence. Theme music provided by John Anilio, art provided by Numbers Ninja, and podcast hosting provided by Libsyn. This episode is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Node Derivatives 4.0 license. You can find all of my books and podcasts at merverse.com. Tune in next time when you'll hear Mer Lafferty say, I really love the fact that we're getting a lot of feminist retellings of a lot of Greek myths, because while I grew up loving Greek myths, women don't do real good in them.